The following program is pre-recorded. From Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on your health. I'm Tom Clark, here again with family doc Zorba Pastor to talk with you about what's new in healthy living, share some down-to-earth advice and great lifestyle tips to help you get the most out of life. If you have a question for the good doc, the number to call is 800-462-7413. And along with your calls, we have some topics to talk about, Zorba. Yes, we're going to talk about healthy lifestyle, memory decline in older adults. What does it mean for you? What steps can you take? And antidepressants, do they work for chronic pain conditions? Do some of them work? Do all of them work? We'll give you some hints on that that really can make a difference in your life, especially if you have chronic pain. Yeah, what's our special recipe? Spicy turkey meatballs. Mm. Spicy turkey meatballs, Mm. which Mm. for some reason, when I say they're spicy, I want to get a a fake Italian accent. I have no Italian blood (laughs) in me at all. None. I love Italy, but no blood in me. Wasn't that much of an Italian accent? (laughs) No, no, no. I was not... I was not successful. Let's get to the phones. Moving on, moving on. Getting to the phones at 1-800-462-7413. 1-800-462-7413. Our first caller joins us now, Zorba, a listener with us in Westport, Wisconsin. Hi. Hello, Tom and Dr. Zorba. So good to be on the show. Good to have you. How can we help? Hello, I had cataract surgery about oh, roughly two months ago, and the surgery went well, and about a week after surgery, I developed something called macular edema, get more mm-hmm. fluid in the retina, and that happened, it was about, as I said, a week and a half after surgery, my vision changed, it got all more blurry, and things got a little darker, and just reading, looking at words, things were smudged out in different letters, I couldn't see whole words, and so the wow. doctor prescribed them. Um, series of drops uh, mm-hmm. using the typical steroid Durazol, and then mm-hmm. um, that seemed to help a little. I did Durazol and then added um, Nevenac, another drop, to mm-hmm. help with that. So I'm doing those drops four times a day. Lots of fun doing those. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Just, I bet. Yeah, so it's just been a long mm-hmm. process with that for the last uh, just about two months. What's happened to your sight? Has it improved at all? It's improved a little bit, yes. It's finally getting better um, maybe over the last week. Just mm-hmm. don't know if you've seen or heard much of this. I guess this does happen occasionally. You get extra inflammation in the eye. I mean, a lot of people say, boy, I had cataract surgery. I can see so well, but uh, not so much for me. But the doctors think it may uh, continue to get better to improve. I just don't know if you've seen this happen. And- well, you know, that that's that's if we look at cataract surgery. And when I was a kid, back, back in the day, back in the 50s, before they had – Practically before they had cataract surgery, if you had your cataracts removed, you wore these Coca-Cola glasses. I don't know if you've ever remember, <laughs> remember these big eyeglasses where sure. people looked like they had bug eyes. They couldn't see very well at all, but they could see somewhat, and that's because there was no artificial lens that went in the eye before they actually put in artificial lenses. They did that. And they did it with people with severe cataracts who basically were blind. And then the glasses, they could, you know, barely, people could barely get around. Then when they did cataract surgery back in the old days, you had to keep your head still for 10 days. So you were in bed for 10 days. It was either a week or 10 days on your back. And that's before they developed sort of the modern technique, which is a 15-minute surgery. Now, Modern technique, does it work? Yeah, it works. What percentage of the time? 90, 95% of the time without a problem. But the answer is it's 90 or 95% of the time without a problem. And there are complications of cataract surgery. And if you read the fine print that they give you, you know, before you do the surgery, and unless you're OCD, you don't read it and it doesn't make a difference. If you do, you've made, you know, your decision. This is one of, this is one of the complications. Now, The bad news is it happened to you. The good news is that eye drops usually get rid of the edema. The word is usually. They take a while. For some people, it's a bit of time. But for some people, it's four to six months. It's just a long, long time before that uh, the macula, which is really where we see and do all our fine work of reading and everything else, just kind of settles down. So the answer is hang in there. It just happened, you know, it, you know, it happened to you. So you had one cataract removed or, or both eyes? 
Uh, luckily, just one at this point. I do have a cataract in the other eye, but that's not really causing any major issues at this mm-hmm. point. That's wild mm-hmm. on the road. And yeah. this eye, it's gotten better slowly, as you say. Just it's hard to be patient. <laughs> it's hard to be patient because yeah, yeah. we want it to be better. And, and I'll give you something on a personal basis. So I had a, I had a cataract removed from one eye. Really made a difference. Helps me sort of seeing other things. My other eye, I've got a little bit, little cataract in there. You know, it's a little dull. And I was talking, I went to my ophthalmologist and I said, you know, the first eye is good. You know, the other eye is a little dull. I'd like to have it done. And he said, "Uh, how much does it bother you? I said, it doesn't bother you very much. He said, well, you remember cataract surgery has side effects. Are you willing to take them? At which point I thought, huh, I never thought about that. I could have a problem when exactly this other eye doesn't mean very much. It really bothers me. I could just go get glasses for it. So my answer was not to have my other eye done because it's really not too bothersome. And I mention this only because you give a very good example to other people. If you're going to have the surgery, which is very successful, there's a three to five, maybe it's three to five percent. I don't know what the number is exactly that you will have a complication that or the lens itself has trouble. There are a number of things there. Hang in there. You will get better. 95% chance or better that over time, this is going to get better and go away. I like that thought. I like your positive attitude, Dr. Zorba. But I do have another thing in there called an epiretinal membrane from scar tissue from uh, uh, posterior vitreal detachment uh, a year or two ago. And that's also probably... It's probably um, interacting. Yeah, and that may, yeah. that may be intera- interacting with yeah. us, you know, because that's yeah. the back here. But luckily, we have modern medicine. We have modern technology. Back in the day, you go back 40 or 50 years ago, the answer would be we, there's not much we can do. And the answer is there's a lot that can be done now. That's pretty amazing what, what they can do. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll be patient so. and not complain, and uh, hopefully the drops will help. And then. Just puts me on a regular schedule doing those drops four times a day. And that's it. That's, that's part why. Of the program. That's why we have a smartphone because sometimes we're dumb. Just follow the instructions. <laughs> the phone is smarter than us, <laughs> which doesn't take much in my case. <laughs> you take you take care now. Thanks. All good talking to you guys. Thanks again for getting me on the show. I really enjoy your show, and it's just a wealth of information as always. So you have a great day. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you so, thank you much, so much for, for the comments. We appreciate the call. Healthy lifestyle linked to slower memory. Before our next uh, caller, yeah, Zerba. that's right. Yeah, what do you think, Tom? A decline. Mine and the older adults. That's it. What do you think? Well, are you an older adult? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the oldest. That's adult. right. You are the oldest. You are the oldest of the older adults. Yeah. So, so they're kind of looking at a memory. This is a, this is a study that came out of China. It's a long term study. They looked at there are about thirty thousand adults, sixty years of age and older, the age of sixty to seventy two, looking at cognitive decline. Study started in the two thousand nine. You know, so clearly more than a decade ago, uh, everyone was actually sampled for something called the APOA gene, the apolipoprotein E gene, which which happens to be associated with Alzheimer's. Doesn't mean if you have the gene, you're going to get it. About twenty percent of the people were found to have it. Where it's also looking at that gene and how predictable that gene will be. And then people were studied in assessments in the year 2012, 2014, 2016, 2019, and so on. And they're following. They looked at healthy lifestyle and whether or not healthy lifestyle would actually improve memory. So, what do you think is part of healthy lifestyle, Tom? Oh, um, eating right. I Absolutely suppose. right. What else? A little exercise. That's right. Maybe That's a right. lot of exercise. That's right. What else? Listening to the show. Listening to, listening to the show. That's right. Listening to public radio is definitely a part of the healthy life. So no, not – but they did six, six factors, healthy eating, regular exercise, active social contact with friends and family, cognitive activity, which is writing, reading, playing mahjong, okay? Cognitive activity, non-smoking and not drinking any alcohol, never drinking alcohol. They had a score from zero to six – you know, whether or not people had a healthy lifestyle. And after accounting for a range of economic and social conditions, they found that individuals who had healthy lifestyle had a slower active decline in memory over a 10-year period. They may have still had some active decline. As you get older, our memory, you know, starts to deteriorate. But it wasn't as bad, wasn't as quick, 
and wasn't as problematic. So once again, it's showing you that healthy diet, regular activity, social activity, cognitive activity, writing, reading, forget about those crossword puzzles. Those are for crossword puzzle people. Playing mahjong. It's Chinese, but maybe we should all play mahjong. Not smoking and not drinking much can make a difference. And listening to public radio should be also <laughs> part of that. 800-462-7413 is our number. If you have a question for Zorba, 800-462-7413. And Zorba, we have a voicemail now from New York. Hello. I have a question about the COVID. I've had the COVID twice now. In the beginning, I had the shots. Now I haven't had the last shot. But I'm very tired from the COVID. I'm asking if you know a food or something I can eat that will give me some energy. Also, I'm overweight and I'm a diabetic and I am trying to lose weight. But during the COVID, at first I couldn't eat anything. And the last part, I started eating. So I'm trying to eat low food, you know, low calorie foods. Also, all this time I've been drinking a coffee creamer in my coffee, and I just looked at it, it says zero sugar, but it has corn syrup in it and all this other stuff that I didn't see. So thank you. Could you help me? And God bless both of you. Bye for now. Thank you. Really good voicemail. Brings up a a, a lot of things. So first of all, I want to address the coffee creamer before, before we get into it. You look at coffee creamer, it's an industrialized product. It's got calories. It doesn't have zero calories. I have no idea why it says zero sugar if it's got high fructose corn syrup. It doesn't have – it has sweetener and that is a sugar. High fructose corn syrup, corn syrup is like sugar. It may not have like – you know, table sugar, but it's got sweetener stuff. You know, if you're going to put something in your coffee, go for the cream. Then you know what you're actually getting, a natural product, or go for almond milk or something like that. All right. Now, getting to long, getting to long COVID and, and the fatigue and stuff, we don't understand it well. It's awful. For some people, it really lays them down. It's hard to measure. You know, so when it's hard to measure, science goes, well, I'm not, I mean, a lot of people, maybe not science, says, well, I'm really not sure if it's real. How do you measure fatigue? You know, I mean, somebody says, well, I'm really tired. Okay, we don't have a number. You know, in medicine, we like to have numbers, like what's your blood pressure, what's your cholesterol. We know that's associated with COVID. We know that for some people, it lasts for a long time. What do we do? We can only do lifestyle. We can only do eating right. You know, a Mediterranean diet and a balanced meal is going to help. We know that regular exercise on a regular basis throughout the day, it might be 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, is going to help. And we know laying down for a nap in the middle of the day, if you can do it, will definitely help. Half an hour nap, maybe up to 45 minutes. If you nap too long, you will not sleep as well at night for most people. And making sure you stay in bed for seven, eight hours a night. Those are the only things we can manipulate. Luckily, Time really does seem to make a difference. And we know that people over time get better with this aspect of long COVID. But really, this virus is just a funky, weird, strange virus. What can I say? It's going to be with us forever. And uh, we got to figure out how to live with it. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. Before we take a short break, Zorba, let's check in with your favorite fault finders, (laughs) the Grammar Police. Oh, no, it's the Grammar Police. Good thing you're a doctor and not a... uh... You better believe it. Hey, but when I was in elementary school, I was a high soprano. I know it's hard to believe (laughs) because I'm a baritone now. And I was so embarrassed about my voice. And they would pick me to hit the highest notes because my voice was higher than most of the girls in my school. And I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, the following Facebook message... Came to us from Gabby in Springdale, Washington, who writes, Zorba, may I submit a gentle critique 
through your grammar police. <laughs> Gentle critique. Many right. folks refer to foods as healthy, mm-hmm. as in healthy veggies, mm-hmm. healthy cooking, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, healthy. If my healthy ESL foods. studies mm-hmm. are any guide, mm-hmm. foods mm-hmm. are healthful. Mm-hmm. Oh, and gosh. make the consumer she, healthy. She whiz. Fruits and veggies oh, might have been healthy <laughs> when right. still right. attached That's to the right. plant yeah, from healthful. which they grew. Healthful. But once healthy. removed, oh, they're from, they are dying if not already dead. <laughs> Hence, no longer healthy, although still potentially healthful for the entity consuming such. Love your show. Yes, well, that was very helpful, but I don't think I'm going to say, hey, let's have some Healthful veggies. People are going to know, what do you mean? Healthy foods, healthful veggies. So that's exactly. Even though they're not healthy. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, you know something. In every crowd, we can change our language. That's exactly. Once again, thank you so much for your comment. Really appreciate it. Would you like a large <laughs> broadcast platform to point out Zorba's <laughs> minor grammar mistakes? Well, you're in luck. Let us know by posting on our Facebook page, or you could always send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. We have more of your calls coming up. I Zorba, hope so. Zorba will answer more of your emails. I hope so. And we'll be uh, cooking up some spicy Yay! meatballs. All that coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from, from PRX. Tom Clark here with Family Doc Zorba Pastor on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. But Zorba, before our next call, our recipe. Spicy turkey meatballs. Sounds good. Sounds like I'm trying to be Italian. There's nothing Italian about spicy turkey meatballs. <laughs> or or you're, you're saying spicy meatballs. Well, but you know, I, I associate meatballs with Italian, but meatballs are not just Italian. They're in many, many different things. I mean, if uh, Tibetan meatballs, uh, the Moroccan different meatballs. I mean, if you look at tabbouleh, I mean, there are a number of things that are meat and other products that are put in a ball form and then fried or sauteed. I'm not getting anywhere with you, am I? Just looking at me with the blood. <laughs> Let's screen. do it. That's me. So start out with one half a an onion sliced or diced uh, rather. A half an onion diced. That's right. It can be a yellow onion, red onion, you know, any kind of onion you want. It. Mm-hmm. Uh, two garlic cloves minced. Two garlic cloves minced. Two tablespoonfuls of minced Italian parsley. Two big tea minced Italian parsley. A pound of ground turkey. One pound ground turkey. A large egg. A large egg. A teaspoon of salt. A little tea salt. A half teaspoon of crushed red pepper. Half a little tea crushed red pepper. And you're going to have some oil on the side to sear the meatballs. Oil for searing the meatballs. The meatballs. Let's talk about the sauce. Okay. Half a yellow onion or half any other onion you want to. Diced. Half a yellow diced. onion. Diced. That's right. A two garlic cloves chopped. Two garlic cloves chopped. A 24-ounce can of crushed tomatoes. A 24-ounce can of crushed tomatoes. A teaspoon of your favorite dried Italian herb blend. Little tea, dried Italian herb blend. Where do you get your herb blends, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> at, the rest, uh, at the restaurant. At the restaurant. <laughs> uh, 
A half teaspoon of crushed red pepper. Half a little tea, crushed red pepper. And some Italian parsley for garnish. Italian parsley as garnish. So let's make the meatballs. In a medium bowl, add the onion, garlic cloves, Italian parsley, ground turkey, large egg, salt, and crushed red pepper. Mix the ingredients together until they're barely combined. Form the balls using your hands. Set them aside. Repeat until you've worked your way through all the meatballs. You can make them small, medium, or large. I'd probably do something on the smaller range. Then in a medium-sized saucepan, over medium heat, add a few tablespoonfuls of oil. When it's hot, make sure it's hot before you start. It's going to take you a minute or so under medium heat. Sear the meatballs on all sides. Transfer them to a plate or a sheet and repeat till you've worked your way through all the meatballs. They've got to be seared. The outside has got to be seared or it's not going to be good. Now, in the sauce, Here's what you're going to do. In a medium saucepan, over medium heat, add a teaspoon of olive oil. Then put in the onion. Cook until softened. Add the garlic, tomato sauce, crushed red pepper flakes. Stir and bring to a simmer. Mix in a quarter cup of water just to kind of loosen the sauce a bit. And then add a little bit of salt to taste. Then put the meatballs in. Cover the pot. Simmer for 10 to 15 minutes. And you're done. And garnish it with some Italian parsley and serve. And this really is good. And you can serve it on a, with a side of pasta. You can serve it just on its own. But it really is good. It's a spicy turkey meatball. You can make it in advance, put it in the refrigerator, warm it up for the kids or other people who you want to have in your house. And meatballs are fun. Mm-hmm. I like making – I haven't made meatballs in a while, but this would be a, a good dish. And it's using turkey, so it's not just using beef. It's another it's – a, it's a poultry product, which really is better for our cholesterol. They really sound good to me. They're really good. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know that people would love to have a copy of this. And guess how they can do it? They can do it through the web. They can come to zorbapastry.org. That's zorbapastry.org. And don't forget, you can find us through Facebook. is our number. 1-800-462-7413. Now, Zorba, we have a voicemail from Queens, New York. Question is, I hear many people talk about a vegan diet being very healthy, and I also hear people talking about eating a lot of meats and those being very healthy. And I'm very confused between the two. And I would just like if somebody could share some information regarding that. Thank you. First of all, the, the, the best diet, in my mind, is still a Mediterranean diet. I think that is always the best diet. It's proven to be useful. We know people along the Mediterranean Sea, they do have a different lifestyle, but we know it's good. A Mediterranean diet has fish you know, once or twice a week. That's a very important thing. I think fish is really important, uh, and I, I think it's very useful. And, of course, it doesn't have a lot of animal fat, not nearly as much as we do plentiful fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds. I almost never eat fish. You never eat fish? You don't eat, do you like salmon? Salmon is good. Uh-huh. Well, talk to Monica about having salmon once a week. I mean, that really, I mean, it really does make a difference. Fish is really good. The omega-3 fatty acids in fish cannot be overstated as something that are salubrious that are good for our health. Now, a vegan diet is good. Lacks in protein. It's a big protein issue. It's hard to get protein on a vegan diet. A vegetarian diet, you can get protein because, of course, you're putting in eggs and dairy products. But in a vegan diet, a little, little bit harder to get that. Is it useful? Yeah, it's a good diet. Is it the best diet? Absolutely not. There is no best diet. Once again, I always go back to the Mediterranean diet. And if you're going to have healthy animal proteins, you start with fish, you then go to poultry, and then you look at uh, and then you look at beef and pork. And that's kind of the way I look at it. And I think, you know, animal proteins of beef and pork in judicious amounts are good. Now, do I have a bratwurst when I'm watching them Packers? You bet I do. I bet I do. <laughs> but I don't have bratwurst all the time because obviously that's not good. Yeah. Do I like a steak? Yes, I do. I do like a steak on the grill. In fact, I've got a prime rib in the basement that I will probably roast sometime in the next you know, three to six months. But I don't have burgers every night. And if we look at how much beef we eat, most of it is hamburger and we eat too much of it. And if you look at all the fat we get, a lot of it is in French fries. If we look at 
the fact that something like 3 to 5% of the country eats at McDonald's every week. I've seen numbers that are something like that. If you look at the fast food line in restaurants, it's all the time. They do most of their work in the fast food line on the car line. So if you look at it, people aren't even getting out of their cars when they're eating a high-fat, high-saturated fat diet, which is not good, not good for their heart, and not good for their soul. So the answer is, if you want to be a vegan... Make sure that you eat in a healthy way. Make sure it's well-balanced. And the best diet is still the Mediterranean diet is the king and queen of diets. Mm. Queens, New York, we appreciate the call. <laughs> the queen of diet, of course, for Queens. <laughs> at 800-462-7413. That's 800-462-7413. Another voicemail now, Zorba, from Oakland, Wisconsin. Hello. I'm calling to ask about why uh, a clinic like the Mayo Clinic does so much better than your average clinic around the area. Um, I'm just curious about why they're so successful in treating issues and issues that you'd think could be treated locally but aren't as well. So why is the Mayo Clinic so good? Thank you. I don't think they are better. I just I disagree <laughs> with that whole statement. Now, what are they really good at? They're really good at solving problems that are complicated where we don't have a solution. They are definitely better. So if you go in and you've got uh, problems that are not being solved anywhere else, that's the place to go. I mean, because they all get together and they try to come up with the best answer. And they often have multiple, uh, they have multiple specialties and subspecialties. And you end up with one evaluation at the end. But when it comes to treating diabetes, hypertension, you know, the usual things, the Mayo Clinic is not better than other places, not at all. I mean, if you look at medical care in this country, it has improved so much in the 25, 35, 45 years since I started medicine. I'm just amazed because it used to be that you had to go to a specialty clinic to really good, good care. But the reality is continuing medical education, the training that physicians get today, the technology that allows us to actually do things is so far and away better. I mean, when I started medicine, if somebody came in with painless jaundice and we didn't know what to do, we would have to do an exploratory laparotomy. We would take them to surgery, open them up to see if they had pancreatic cancer, look inside and say, oh, they have pancreatic cancer. That's why they're jaundiced. It's not gallstones. Close them up and they would die. I mean, not right away, but the reality is now you can do an ultrasound and make that diagnosis. You don't have to open somebody up or a CAT scan or an MRI scan. So, it's not that you get great care at the Mayo Clinic and you don't get great care everywhere else in the country. It's that they have tertiary care that I think is incredible, as well as other places all the way around the country. University clinics, Cleveland Clinic, you know, wonderful clinics. Salt Lake City has, uh, you know, has a university that's great. And, of course, the University of Wisconsin that has a great inst- – which is a great institution. Yeah. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. There's a lot of really, really, really uh, great help, but you have to wait forever sometimes. It didn't used to be that way. Oh, you mean in terms of uh, – in terms You of make what? an appointment for two months from now. No, it's very difficult. It's, well, it shows you – it shows you what has happened with COVID and other things. And I'll tell you, there are a number of things that have laid, led to this. So first of all, a number of physicians have left. They've left. They left the workforce. COVID came in. They were older physicians and they said, look, I've saved my money. I don't want to work anymore. I'm upset with COVID. So we have, we have a decrease in the number of providers who are actually, uh, who are actually around. And I think that's, that's part of the issue. And the other part of the issue is a number of providers have gone from full time to part time. Used to be. Back in the day, 20 years ago, doctors worked 60 hours a week. Well, a number of things have changed. So doctors don't want to work 60 hours a week. They want to work 40 hours a week, and that has also reduced the workforce. But you're right. It's harder to get employment today in most places of the country than ever before. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. Before the break, Zorba... We love it when our lovely listeners chime in with a healthy living tip for the show. So, let's first hear from Charles in Fitchburg, Wisconsin, who writes, 
Zorba, I enjoy and appreciate your articles on health issues. Over the years, you've dispensed millions of dollars of practical advice. Regarding your advice on saving money on prescription drugs, Mm -hmm. you do not touch on the issue of buying from outside the U.S. I surmise that this must be a touchy or legal issue. However, I've been buying Eliquis from a Canadian source that lowered my cost from $550 per month to about $155 per month. That saves me over $4,500 a year. Uh, He brings up a good point. First of all, it's not a touchy point at all. I mean, I do tell people, I've told my patients for years about uh, Canadian pharmacies. Very important uh, when men wanted to get Viagra and Cialis and also when asthmatics have wanted to to get inhalers, which are much, much cheaper through Canada. And of course, a lot of people along the border get their prescriptions through Mexico. So it brings up a very good point. Very good point about Eliquis, which is a name brand. It's a uh, you know, it's a blood thinner, very important blood thinner called a DOAC, uh, which is a direct oral anticoagulant. Very expensive. And if you get it through Canada, you're going to save a lot of money. So I think he brings up a very good point. You want to make sure you're dealing with a reputable Canadian pharmacy. That's very important. I would ask your healthcare provider because they have to send the prescription to that. Or if they're not willing to send a prescription, then you say to your healthcare provider, give me a written prescription. I will take it to the pharmacy of my choice. And you can do that through Canadian pharmacies. What you do is uh, there are a number of Canadian pharmacies that are reputable. I'm not going to recommend any specific one of them. But then you call them up and then you take a picture on your smartphone of the prescription and that's good enough to get it. But Good point, not just goodrx.com, but also getting it through a Canadian pharmacy. And they'll tell you where it's manufactured. But that has to do with the fact that they're often manufactured in other countries. So maybe a Canadian pharmacy, but it's not manufactured in Canada. It may be manufactured in India or Turkey, which often has very good manufacturing. Then you have to make a decision as to the reliability. Many of them are reliable, but when you're dealing with an anticoagulant, Buyer beware, got to make sure it's reputable. Hmm. And finally, here's a tip we received via Facebook from a listener named Erica. My dad shared your article from the Wisconsin State Journal about good RX. As a pharmacist for Walgreens, I think it would be great to let your audience know that Walgreens does accept good RX. Well, the answer is they may accept good RX, but the price may be different. And it depends on different medications. But the reality is if you good if you go to goodrx.com, it will then tell you what the cost is of each pharmacy and whether or not they actually approve it. And that's the way to do it. Use the website, use it in the best way possible. Do you have a helpful tip for the show? Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. We have more of your calls coming up. We have another topic to talk about, and Zorba will be answering more of your emails. All coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. <laughs> Tom Clark with Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. The number to call if you have a question for Zorba, 1-800-462-7413. But Zorba, before our next call, most antidepressants ineffective for common pain conditions. Right, right. Um, uh, There there are some important issues here. So first of all, antidepressants uh, happen to be 
used for many, many different things. They're used for depression, of course, for PTSD. Uh, but they're also, the question is, do some of them work for chronic pain? And the answer is some of them do, some of them don't. And this is an article that was recently published in the BMJ. And I think it's an important article to look at. So there, there are a number of groups of antidepressants. There are antidepressants called tricyclics. Elevil being the most common one of that. Uh, It's just, I mean, that's that's sort of the name brand of one of the antidepressants. You know, amitriptyline being another one within that. Then you have the common SSRIs, you know, which is like Prozac. So Prozac being the first one in there. Paxil uh, is another one that's in there. And then you have something called the SNRIs, a third group. And duloxetine or Cymbalta is one of the drugs in there. And venlafaxine is another one. So you kind of have three different groups of antidepressants. So this particular study looked at antidepressants compared with placebo. They looked at a number of studies, 26 studies in all, 25,000 participants. So this is where statisticians time, you and I, you know, the numbers people, you know how we are with numbers. Don't you love numbers like big numbers to like work with them? I mean, 25,000 people looking at the numbers takes a special person to do that, right? Yeah, not me, That's but a, right. a special and not, person. And not me. So these special people take all of the studies, put them together. There's a strength to that, and there's also a weakness to that. In other words, each study is different. But what they found was that anti, the antidepressants, the SSRIs, which are the most common antidepressants used in this country today, as I said, Paxil, Lexapro, Prozac, don't do anything for chronic pain. Nothing at all. Forget it. If you're going to give it for chronic pain, it doesn't work. But the drugs that are in the class SNRI, duloxetine under the name brand Cymbalta or venlafaxine, which is uh, under the name brand Effexor, those drugs do seem to help a bit with chronic pain and are worthwhile using. And then also the tricyclics such as amitriptyline also work. So the answer is if you're on an antidepressant to help you with pain, you've got to be on the right one. And if you're on the typical SSRI, you're not on the right one, and that's the time to talk to your doctor and switch. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. And now, Zorba, let's see if we can help a listener in Atlantic Beach, Florida. Hi. Hello there. How can we help? I was recently diagnosed with pancreatic enzyme deficiency. This is something I had never heard of in my entire life, so I would just like to know more about it. I would like to know, first of all, can this devolve into something more serious? Uh-huh. Who, who diagnosed it? A gastroenterologist. Okay, gastroenterologist. Yes, okay. I had this a, 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 mm-hmm. after a CAT scan. Yeah, what kind, of, what kind of symptoms did you, did you have symptoms? Yes, terrible bowel symptoms. Yeah, what kind? Share, share, share your bowel symptoms with us. Come on, bear, bear the truth. Nobody likes to about, nobody likes to about talk about poop and gas. But you know, this is public radio. We like talking about poop and gas. So yeah, share it with well, us. Well, those were two of the symptoms. That's right. That's what I. That's what I figured. It's exactly what I figured. A lot of a lot of diarrhea right. and uh, just gastric discomfort. Right. How long had it been going on for? Probably six months Probably before I really so. uh-huh. got anything done about it. Uh-huh. So it sort of started out, was it insidious, kind of started it out of the blue, or did it start with a viral infection or anything like that? What What was the beginning? Not that I remember. Mm-hmm. All I remember are the gastric problems. Okay, so what did you do first? Go to your regular doc? I mean, you didn't go to a gastroenterologist immediately, did you? No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I went to my regular physician, mm-hmm. and then he sent me to... Um, for a CAT scan, and uh, then I saw a gastroenterologist. Okay, so then you had a CAT scan, and then you saw a gastroenterologist. Did they see anything on a CAT scan? Was there anything they saw? No. No. So then what did your gastroenterologist do to come up with the diagnosis? Series of blood tests or Uh, a feel? No, I don't think. We didn't do any blood tests. Mm -hmm. So he he or she diagnosed, gave you some enzyme to take with your food. Is that what is that what they did? Yes, he prescribed Creon. How's it working? It seems to be working fine. It seems not. Your poop is better and the gas is better. Yes, everything is has evened out. Okay, so this is one of the things that that. 
it, it's kind of one of the things in medicine that's difficult. So we like to see things. So we don't see anything on the CAT scan. So we know there's not a tumor there. It doesn't appear, appear to be that on the CAT scan. Pretty good at ruling out pancreatic, pancreatic tumors. So that's one of the things they looked at in, in a D to that. So uh, when you, uh, gastroenterologists are really good at trying to figure out what's going on for which they cannot measure. In other words, they can't really measure the enzymes that your pancreas is produ- are producing. In other words, you, they can't measure it because there's no way of measuring that enzymes. You can't put down a little tube and say, you know, like with a blood count, hey, you're anemic. Hey, you don't have a lot of enzymes. So if you've got an answer of taking this enzymatic product before you're eating, so the enzymes are in there with your food, you have the answer. The question that I cannot answer is, number one, why did it happen? Good question. Did it happen because of a viral infection that we don't know about? I mean, there are a lot of viruses. We've learned, for instance, with COVID, that a lot of people had COVID, never knew they had COVID. And it's the same with other viruses. Or is there some predisposing event that occurred that actually did that? That's why I asked if something happened to you suddenly that did it. We don't quite understand that. But How long is it going to last? I also can't answer. For some people, it lasts forever. For other people, it lasts, and this has been my experience, it can last for three months or six months or nine months or a year. And for some reason, your pancreas kind of kicks up and produces more enzymes later on. So this might be a temporary thing or might be a permanent thing. But most importantly, you went to a good doc because they figured out what was wrong. I did. I very good doctors here. <laughs> you know, I very mean, so so the answer is you have a good one, and I'd like to tell you exactly why it occurred, but I don't think we know it because we don't have a good way of measuring it. So we, this is sort of science in the way that doctor said, "Look, I think it's an enzyme product," and they use basically clinical judgment to make the decision. Doctors often rely on technology because there's so much of it, but this doctor relied on clinical judgment, and it's working. So keep it up. It is that. Well, other than taking the enzymes, are there other things that I can do to help myself? Well, you want to see if there are certain foods that bother you more than others. That's kind of the other thing. But no, once again, I always tell people the best diet is the Mediterranean diet. But no, I don't know anything that that would actually make a difference for what you're actually doing other than going on a healthy diet. How do you eat normally? Do you eat in a healthy yes, way? Yes, we eat a very healthy diet. We do eat a healthy diet. Yeah. You exercise on Although a regular... Although I do like potato chips once in a while, which I've given up. Now, wait a second. You like potato chips once in a while and you've yes. given them up? Why have you given them up? Because they said avoid greasy food. Yeah, but have a little bag of potato chips every so often. If it doesn't <laughs> bother you, if you eat greasy foods and then you get bloated, then obviously you can't have some potato chips. But if you have some potato chips and you're not bloated or anything, you certainly can do it. You'll know whether or not. I mean, why? How, how old are you? 88. 88. You know? At the age of 88, I would continue to have potato chips if I wanted to. I would just limit the amount of potato chips that I would eat, especially if I didn't have any symptoms. Thank you very much. you got to sin a little in order to enjoy life, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. And by Thanks. the way, you do not sound like you're 88 at all. You sound like you're much, much younger. Well, I feel much younger. Well, you sound it too. There's energy in your voice. There's no doubt about it. No doubt. So, well, thank you so much for listening. And thank you for your help. You take care now. Goodbye now. Bye-bye. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. You know, what a great call. I mean, yeah. here you have somebody, she's 88. She did not sound, she didn't sound like she was 88, did she? I don't know what he went. Oh gosh, you know something about she did. She had this. What do you sound like this when you're 88? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, eight hundred four six two seven four one three is our number. And Zorba, let's crack open the Zorba Pastor on your health inbox and take a listener email. The following question came from Lynette in Richmond, California, who writes. Dear Zorba, Tom, and Monica, help me ever Zorba, since— Zorba, Tom, and Monica. Oh, Monica. I know. Bad. I like that. Well, really she's, nice. a, she's the smartest person I know, she so is. maybe she— I mean, she, come on. Come on. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, 
Help me. Ever since I read that chocolate was medicinal in that it helped open capillaries in extremities. Do I have that right? A little bag of delectable bites of gourmet, extremely expensive, 100% cacao was in my purse. Recently, a friend told me about a Consumer Reports article detailing how my pursuit of health and happiness through bitter cacao may cause many problems. What have you learned about the dangerous levels of the metals Lead and cadmium in my cacao. At age 72, will this habit catch up with me? Or will I be on the other side of the time the heavy metals do me in? Well, first of all, I don't know if they really open up capillaries. I don't think you can say that much. But we do know that dark chocolate uh, can be useful, helpful in heart disease. There's sort of an association that we talk about all the time. Uh, now, this was some research out of Consumer Reports. That's a good question. And Consumer Reports looked at heavy metals in some forms of chocolate. And lo and behold, turned out something like Hershey's special dark, mildly sweet chocolate contained lead levels uh, that was above what California allowed and also cadmium levels in some brands of chocolate, which really leads to some important questions. So first of all, Trust but verify. In other words, the thing about science is, yes, I trust consumer reports. It's not the be-all and the end-all. The question is, is there really lead in some chocolate products? And if so, where is it coming from? I mean, is it coming from the manufacturing or is it coming from the storage or something else? And if so, we've got to figure out how to get rid of it because we don't want lead in anything we eat. We certainly don't want cadmium and heavy metals. So I think you have to pay attention to consumer reports. But I think you've got to have a government agency such as the FDA look at this and say, is there lead or not lead? And if so, how do we get it out? And I'll give, I'll give a good example. So back in the day, years ago, my father and my Uncle Art were in the gumball business. And lo and behold, they had discovered, so I don't remember exactly how, that there was lead in gumballs. There was some lead in gumballs. Kids eat lumballs, mm. eat gumballs. They thought that it might be in the mechanism of the gumball machine. And that would ruin the gumball machines that they had that were out there in various places like Woolworths and Kmart and Walmart. When you walked out, remember you'd put some money in? Get the gumballs. Don't you remember that? Oh, yeah, sure. And lo and behold, the studies were repeated, and guess what they found out? There was no lead in gumballs. When they repeated the study, they found out the study was was inaccurate, and it didn't apply. And I'll never forget that because the real question was whether or not their business was going to go down the tubes or not. It's the same with this. You've got to repeat the study and find out if there really is lead and cadmium in the chocolate. And in the meantime, I'm going to continue to have my chocolate. And I know you have chocolate every night, don't you? No. Wait a minute. You used to have chocolate every night. Didn't you have some Hershey's every night? I'm a healthy eater now. Wait a minute. When did you stop having (laughs) the chocolate every night? You had little squares of Hershey every night. No. What? No? no? You mean you're done with it? You haven't had it in years? Okay. I I still have it every every now and then. (laughs) Every every now and then. Anyway, I'm having my chocolate too. Thank you. I would continue with it and hold your breath. We'll find out what the FDA says. I'll check with Monica to see if she agrees with that. There we go. (laughs) Do you have a healthy living question for the show? Just post it on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. 800-462-7413 is our number. Now let's hear a voicemail from a listener in Buffalo, New York. My question is about sodium content in foods. When you see a listing of sodium content on something, is that referring to the amount of table salt in the food, the amount of sodium chloride in the food, the amount of elemental sodium, or exactly what? (laughs) Because elemental sodium is like 60% of sodium chloride, and this number could be misleading. If they wanted to say salt content, why don't they just say salt content? Yeah, that's pretty true. That's right. <laughs> that's a really good point. It's it's the amount of salt in the food. That's actually what they're referring to. They're not referring to just to just the sodium. And you know, it's a good question. You know, these the labeling is basically you've got the USDA on one side. 
You got the FDA on the other side of a table, and then you have the food manufacturers on the other side of the table. Then you have the government on one side of the table. Then you have the lobbyists on another side of the table. Then you have the consumers on another side of the table. Then you have a nonprofits on the other side of the table. And in fact, a whole bunch of people go in and decide what the labeling is going to be, and it's all compromise, compromise, compromise. And some of the stuff in there is absolutely ridiculous. Like it'll say, if you're looking at potato chips, chips. It'll say 12 chips or 14 chips. Who counts the amount of potato (laughs) chips? It should be half a bag, three quarters of a bag, full bag. Give me a break. But hey, it's 12 chips, 14 chips. You know, that's what they finally compromised in. When they're talking about sodium, they're talking about salt and the amount of salt you should actually have in your diet. But thank you. You bring up a good point. You know something? That person should now be a member of the chemical police, the chemical, (laughs) the chemistry police. We have never heard from the chemistry police. And that was the first. That is the founder of the chemistry police, even though he didn't realize it. Oh, no. It's It's the the chemistry chemistry police. police. (laughs) 800-462. We're never going to make it as singers. No. Public radio, but not singers, baby. 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 800-462-7413. And before we head out, Zorba... We get so many questions from our wonderful listeners, but we also get calls from listeners who just want to share a comment or a health tip. So, it's time again for the segment we call Caller Comments. This is a bunch of caller comments, people calling us with their health tips. Thanks, we appreciate it. Okay, Zorba, after an hour of doling out free medical advice, I bet sometimes it's nice to get some positive feedback. So, let's hear a voicemail from a listener in Viola, Wisconsin. Hi, Tom. Dr. Zorba, I try to listen to your show every morning. Uh, For 25 years, you've done a very good job. May you have a long life and go another 25. Thanks much. How nice is that? That is really, really sweet. Thank you, thank you. We've been doing this for 25 years. Oh, my God. (laughs) Do you have something to share for the show? Just post it on our Facebook page or send us an email at... Oh, my God, my memory. Zorba at WPR.org. See you next week, Zorba. Stay well, Tom. If you missed anything during the show... Anything. Just want to... Stream the show That's online right. anytime. You can do it anytime. Visit us on the web. That's right at zorbapastor.org. That's right. Go ahead. Please go. <laughs> You're going to keep talking. Yeah, I guess so. You know, and don't forget, you can call us anytime. Don't forget to leave us your question anytime. Twenty four seven. One eight hundred four six two seven four one three. Very good. Got it. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. Yay! It's not intended as a medical diagnosis. No, not at all. So please do check with your doctor. Of course. Our executive producer is Carl Christensen. Our technical director is Brad Colbert. Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sedrin. For Zorba Pastor. I'm Tom Clark. I am Tom Clark. Asking, no, you're not. not. Asking you to join us. Asking you to join us. On the next. Zorba Pastor on your health. Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to ZorbaPastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's Healthy Living Articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's zorbapastor.org.